Well, we've been looking at the book of Philippians, and the book itself has often been called uh, the joyful letter. Joy is mentioned 16 times in the book itself. And the Philippians had a very close relationship to Paul. Uh, Paul himself, in chapter 4, verse 1, calls the Philippians his joy and his crown. They loved Paul. They loved him like a father, looked up to him as their spiritual mentor. And so when news, again, by context, when news reached them that Paul was imprisoned in Rome to stand before Caesar, they naturally became anxious. And so Paul, having completed his greeting and completed that thanksgiving and prayer, he writes them in this part of the letter, giving them an update of his situation to encourage them. That he is okay. In fact, he is rejoicing. And he gives this update partly to show them that they can have joy amidst their own trials. As we read in the, at the very end of the chapter, in verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. The Philippians, part of the reason Paul wrote them, the Philippians were in danger of losing their joy in the Lord because of the discouragements of the Christian life and the trials that they were facing. And so Paul writes this letter, giving them this update. Paul shows them the joy he has in watching. Watching how God is sovereignly using his imprisonment, his suffering, to further the kingdom of Christ. And so this afternoon I want to look with you at this. And beginning with the first um, verses 12 to 14, looking at Christ's spread through suffering. Christ spread through suffering. Paul tells his friends at Philippi that the suffering he has endured has caused him to rejoice. That the Lord in all of his grace has advanced the good news of Jesus Christ in the city of Rome. He tells them, though I am in prison, the word of God is not. In fact, my imprisonment, far from hindering it, has caused it to spread. Not in spite of my affliction, but because of my affliction. My affliction has a direct cause to the spread, spreading of the word of God. Well, in what ways? We read of this in verse 13. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The imperial guard consisted of about 9,000 persons at this time. As the guards were on rotating shifts, they would have been with Paul. They would have seen him interact with his visitors. They would have heard him singing his hymns. They would have seen him praying. They would have talked with him. He would have talked with them as well. And maybe you can imagine what these soldiers are telling their co-workers or their families. I was on guard duty again for that Christian named Paul. He is no ordinary man. He is here and has been here because he has took a stand for his faith in that city, Jerusalem. This might end him facing lions and it doesn't seem to face him. 
He acts so content. In fact, he seems more concerned about me than himself. As, is, as, is all, as almost as if I'm the one in need. Can you, and a reason I read Acts 16 is can you imagine the Philippian jailer sitting, hearing this letter being publicly read with a smile on his face, thinking, I know exactly what that feels like. He knows that not even the darkest cell can keep the good news contained. To the point where 9,000 guards had heard the gospel. That's not an exaggeration. Paul does not exaggerate. Well, then Paul goes on to say, and to all the rest. What does he mean here? Well, these guards, the Praetorian guards, as they are called, are the same guards who stood by the emperor himself, Caesar, and the imperial family. All of them are now hearing of this remarkable man and the message of Jesus Christ. And we know from Scripture that some in Caesar's house were saved. Chapter 4, 22 of the book of Philippians says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. God in his wisdom used the means of prison to bring the truth about Jesus Christ to the heart of the Roman world, which was the world at that point. Paul did not come to Rome in great pomp and splendor, but in humble chains. God often chooses what is weak to shame the strong. The question of why did Jesus have to come in a stable why was he not uh, came as a king born of a powerful queen? God chooses what is, and we'll see this in chapter 2, the humility of Christ. God chooses what is weak to shame the strong. The Jews thought that Jesus was going to come in in guns of blazing to kick out the Romans and to take back Jerusalem. But what happened? He came in riding on a donkey. He came as a suffering servant. And Paul has become a prisoner, a servant of Christ, so he could bring the good news to the rulers of the world. But not only did Paul's suffering spread the gospel, it also emboldened the brothers and sisters to share it without fear. We see this in verse 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains. Far from hindering evangelism, Paul's Paul's imprisonment motivated even more evangelism. Hearing about Paul's joy behind bars, the gospel going forth in leaps and bounds, the, the fruit it was bearing... Strengthen the brothers and sisters to risk their lives to save to, for the sake of the gospel and find joy in doing so. Can we rejoice in being used by God to spread His name? In your place of business, on the streets, to the unsaved family members, let us pray That the Lord would give us a greater desire to be used by God. To have the same humble servant heart 
Christ had. It's not easy to share the gospel with an unsaved family member. Instead, if you, some of you here, some of you I know have unsaved family members. Often growing up in an unsaved extended family, I often wanted to recluse myself into a corner when I came to those Christmas gatherings. That was my first desire. But we are called to be abandoned of Christ, to be his humble servant, to not worry about what will happen to us. And Paul could rejoice because he has been taken up with the same mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Well, we're going to get to this in chapter 2, but we read of in Hebrews 12, 2, as I'm going to go there, for the joy that was set before him, Christ, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. What was the joy? Glorifying God in conquering death and unifying a people for himself. Christ is our forerunner. He goes before us. Left heaven. He left heaven in all its glory and took on the form of a servant for our salvation. And so when we read from Scripture that we are to take up our cross and follow Him, it means we must be ready to die for Him. It means giving up much. It means the opposite of fame and fortune. And when we have been transformed by Christ, as Pastor Kevin mentioned this morning, formed, not this world, but transformed. When we know Jesus and want to share Him, these things, these small comforts that we Want these just the fame and the fortune become of little consequence next to what we gain in heaven. That famous missionary Jim Elliot, before he died, he said, Well, not right before, but he, what he had said before he did die was, He is no fool what he cannot keep, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain. What he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain. What he cannot lose. The circumstances were not ideal for personal comfort. Absolutely not. But ideal for gospel advancement. Roman times were often brutal for Christians. And yet, for all the efforts of the Roman Caesars and the Roman world to silence the message of Christ, it spread. So that even before the time of Constantine, who made Christianity a tolerable religion in 313 AD, the church had grown to 10% of the population. That's in its millions. And just to bring it a little bit closer to home and give you a bit of perspective... It's a bit out of date, but in 2011, they did a poll, uh, and 7.19% of the population of the world was Protestant. That's not 
even evangelical. That's not Christians. That's just Protestants. You know what the number is for that? 496 million. Paul's focus is on the gospel. His mind is filled with Christ. And Christ equipped Paul and the brothers and sisters with courage and joy to proclaim his name. Paul's joy came from making the name of Jesus famous. If our focus is the same, we will know more joy during trials. Because we won't have time to look at ourselves. Well, then we come to Christ proclaimed despite impure motives. Christ proclaimed despite impure motives from verses 15 to 18. Paul not only met with problems outside the church in his imprisonment, he also faced them within. Some were preaching from rivalry, envy, and selfish ambition. It seems that some preachers in Rome regarded Paul as a bit of a rival. The Church of Rome had been established for a while. It was established before Paul got there. But on Paul's arrival and with his apostolic status, some church leaders felt overshadowed. Their names were not mentioned as much. And they had become envious of Paul. And Paul now is removed by imprisonment, and they preach Christ out of envy, and other words, taunting him, saying, Look, Paul, we can preach, and you can't. But as we saw earlier, Paul's mind is filled with Christ. And this mitigates the negative thoughts about his rivals. It does not faze Paul. Paul doesn't begin to pity himself because these men were preaching at a pretense. No, just the opposite. What does he do? We can guess. He rejoices. Paul doesn't care about his name. Preaching is not about him or the glory of his name. The name of Christ is all that mattered to Paul. In both his suffering and his opposition, the good news of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, and that is what makes Paul happy. The heart and minds of these men were focused on themselves and what others thought of them. They wanted men to serve them with their praise and their respect. And were not not looking to serve Christ. I must decrease. He must increase. And Paul's saying, the gospel, Christ proclaimed with a, a, uh, a selfish heart, is still Christ being preached. And so I rejoice. But there's an important message here for us to ask. We need to ask ourselves, where are my eyes focused? Am I doing things out of selfish motives? Are we envious of another's gifts? Have you ever listened to a sermon and thought, I am so glad so-and-so is hearing this right now. Oh, they need it. It's so easy for us to put ourselves above other people. 
It's so easy for us to be man-pleasers. We must be careful lest similar selfish ambition lurks within us. Or perhaps it is the other way around and you know someone who is spreading your name, spreading it through the mud in a negative way, gossiping about you. And, or, receive you or maybe you receive an unjust criticism. It can be hard to love those people. Very hard. But we are called to pray for them. To show them the love of Christ. You and me both for the rest of our lives must work toward self-forgetfulness. The humble are those who realize how sinful they are and how kind and loving God is. We know that we deserve infinitely worse than the small criticisms or slanders that we receive. Paul's humility Kept him from rejoice, kept him rejoicing because he knew who he used to be. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I am the least because I persecuted the church. He knew he used to be Saul, the slander of Christ's name. But he also knew the mercy of Jesus Christ in transforming him from Saul to Paul, the servant of Christ. What did he care as if, if his name was slandered as long as Christ's was proclaimed? His deserved to be slandered in and of itself. Let us in whatever circumstance seek to bear the name of Christ from good motives. And the heart of a good motive is love. When we learn of Christ's love for us, how he that love brought him from the gates of, of splendor in heaven to earth to die for us. Will we not want to reflect it? And the brothers and sisters around us, when they see it, will be encouraged by it. It is such a delight for a pastor to see his, the members of his congregation speaking building up uh, words of encouragement, building up each other. It's, it's, it's wonderful when you open up your homes, hospitality, to bring people in, to build them up, to be in fellowship. That's the love of Christ working in us. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson said, as long as, one concern, one, as long as the one concern of our lives is to honor Christ, we will be safeguarded from selfish motives and safeguarded from bitterness to those who slander us wrongly. Motives matter, and when they are directed at Christ, then they will be for the glory of Christ and the upbuilding of his church. The upbuilding of his church. Well, then we come to Christ magnified in Paul's life or death from verses 19 to 26. And here, Paul gives us more fully the secret to his joy in both his suffering and his opposition. 
What is that? The honor of Christ. Verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Paul here is describing the process that leads from suffering to hope and joy. Whether I live or whether I die, Christ will be glorified. Trials in this life refine our faith. So that our faith may not be ashamed. Whether I, Paul is saying, whether I stand before the Roman tribunal, the Roman judges, and receive the death sentence, or whether I'm released, Christ is going to be honored in my body. How so? If I'm sentenced to death, Paul is saying, everyone will hear one more time of the power of God to save, and everyone will witness Christ's name being worth dying for. If I'm released, I go on to speak the gospel. No matter what Christ, no matter what Christ will be magnified in me, in life or in death. So that when I stand before the heavenly tribunal, the judge of judges who makes an eternal verdict, I may not be ashamed. And so before, let's say, Paul is saying, before I get there, to me, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Now, sometimes we think of Paul as this rock of faith upon which the waves of suffering crash and break but do no damage. But Paul is not the rock. Paul is only standing upon the rock. The rock is Christ, and the same rock that we are standing upon. Galatians 2.20 makes this clear. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is the heart of Paul. What has sustained him through the suffering, through the imprisonment, is Christ in me. Which is why Christians can look at death as gain. Christ in me now, Christ face to face then. I hope we can see Paul's whole life is lived with his heart, his mind, his eyes, his soul, heavenward. This future experience of seeing Jesus gives Paul joy only because Christ means everything to him now. To live is Christ. To love and serve Christ. To further his cause. To suffer for him. To be willing to die for him. Only becomes a desire if we know and believe in our hearts that he first loved us. That he first served us. That he first died for us. Brothers and sisters, do you know Jesus? Do you desire to serve him? So many Christians have endured so much 
so that they can preach to lost people the free offer of the gospel. That Jesus loved us so much that he lived on earth, fulfilling all righteousness so that we can live in him. He died with all our sins so that we could gain him. What filled him with so much joy was the glory the Father would get. The souls that he won. Both what Christ had done in him, but also what Christ was doing to thousands of souls, Paul can rejoice. He counted it an honor to suffer for the message of salvation. That his Savior died and rose to give. And that message, the message that has taken us through this drama of Philippians 1, is the same message we are given today. The message that Christ can set you free. That he suffered and died and rose again for emperors, for guards, for prime ministers, for fathers, mothers, boys and girls. We were the palace guard. We were the slanderers. We are the criminals whom Jesus came to forgive. Colossians 2.13 says this of us. And you, who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Turn and admit your empty self-living and ask God to fill you with His Spirit. And then watch. And many of you here can confess with that hymn writer, Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. I pray that we all can say that in our hearts, with our hearts, mind and soul. Well, therefore, in Christ, our sure foundation, let us remain in the faith. Go on. As we read here on, as we are here on this earth, that means fruitful labor for us. And I want to read with you from 25 to 26. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. If it was the Lord's will to release Paul from prison, he would continue on in building up the church to live for Christ. And that is what Scripture calls you and me to do this week. If you are here, that means the Lord is not done with you yet. He still has work and blessings for you. 
we need to ask ourselves, what am I living for? Is it for Christ? Is it, can I say, to, for me to live is Christ? We are given material things to enjoy. Yes, but we do not get our satisfaction, our full satisfaction from them. We must never live for them. We must live for the glory of God, for the upbuilding and encouraging of the brothers and sisters around us. We need to ask, how can I use my talents, my money, my gifts to build up one another, to build up the body? Now, Paul was an apostle called to go over spreading the gospel. You and me may not be called to that. But we are called to hope ARP. To your job. To your children. To your wife. Does your life here at hope Encourage others to grow and rejoice in the news of our Savior. Now I want to be clear. These verses are not for the super Christian. There is no such thing. These verses are to encourage Christians like you and me. Spirit-filled people loved by a superior loving Savior. Who gives us all we stand in need of to live for Christ. He's the source. And if you do not think you have any gifts to help. Maybe you're paralyzed. Maybe you're ill. Maybe you're elderly or infirmed. And you say to yourself, I'm useless. Sometimes I feel like a burden to others. Sometimes I feel like I'm baggage. Take courage and look to Jesus. A pastor said, one day, I will be with the Lord. But for the present, the same Christ means to help me through my presence even with others, the people of God. Even though I can do very little little practically, nevertheless, to me, to live is Christ. Can you talk? Let your words build up. Can you work? Help someone else who cannot work. We can all think of things. And then people will have cause to glory Christ because he love, his love is in you. Are we willing to live for him? It could, mean very, it could very well mean suffering and dying for him as Paul did. But if you are in him, then you will also be able to take comfort both in life and in death. And in closing, I just want to read to you, this made me think of the Heidelberg Catechism, question one, and I'll read it to you. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. 
Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by the Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. Let us pray.